Do I believe that I can beat the market by playing against everyone using the rules that they're using to play the market? Or can I deploy data and technology and find pockets of opportunity? We call that super fans, which is basically customers who are most obsessed about you. And that's, that's really what this is about. We can overcome how we communicate. As long as we can get to the essence of where are we coming from, what is our intention, what is the outcome that we're focused on, I believe people can go great ways to work with one another as long as those philosophical elements are in alignment. I'm Dave Tabor. In today's episode, I'm joined by Greg Sobiak and Anton Lipkanu of Delve. Delve with the website delvedeeper.com is a fast-growing company of web analysts, data scientists, ad tech engineers, media traders, and advertising managers, all the heavy technology a company needs to target online ad spend. I want to talk with Greg and Anton about that and about how they run a company based in Boulder that also has technical teams in Eastern Europe, also about what they see trending in the future and so forth for ad tech. So Greg and Anton, you know, the audience isn't going to hear that I mispronounce your names many times before we finally got going, but I'm glad you're here on Proco 360. Well, thank you so much for having us. Uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. And, you know, I did a quick overview of Delve, but one of you a little better. Absolutely. We think of ourselves as the performance media agency for businesses that have a recurring revenue model. So how we say it is we delve deeper to bring the insight to the surface and help them identify and then find more of their super fans with the power of data, technology, and media. Mm, because super fans are really driving at the core of their business, right? You even wrote a blog post I saw, and I'm getting off track already, but you already wrote, you wrote a blog post that had to do with, you know, sort of the bell curve of, of customers, right? Some you want to focus on, others you really would just soon not have. Well, you don't want to spend money on them. I did, and I appreciate that if you're reading that. And yes, we believe that every company has those super fans and on the opposite end, the anti fans, and then the core middle in the middle. And if you want to grow faster than the industry, if you want to gain that market share, you have to obsess about those super fans, but also almost equally obsess about excluding the anti fans. Yeah, we're going to talk some more about that because I'm, I, I'm interested in both of those things and how your data, uh, how you help using data help your customers to, to resolve that. And, but first, I want to find out what brought you to Colorado? So I moved to Colorado uh, seven years ago from New York. I had come to the U.S. originally 32 years ago from Poland. So I was 17 back then. And most of my career was sp spent in Boston and New York. And you get to a point in your life where you really want to sort of, you know, enjoy the outdoors. And with my wife and our three daughters seven years ago, we decided this is the place. Hmm. I don't think I'm very unique in loving Colorado for, for its beauty. Yeah, yeah. Now, what about you, Anton? I actually started working with Greg seven and a half years ago when I was back in Belarus. And the company was at a very different stage by then. It was four people, maybe five people, if I remember. And when we started growing, when we started our media practice, we were looking for a better home for both of us and for the business. And there was a consideration between several, like, several cities, I think Portland, Austin, if I remember. And... Boulder was just a better place for both of us and for the business with CU Boulder with access to young talent 
And ever since, I loved it. Yeah, cool. Now, uh, we're going to get into also, listeners, we're going to talk about this distribution of work between Colorado and Eastern Europe. But first, you talk about focusing on challenger brands and really helping them to use your services to to grow. So first, define a challenger brand as you see it, and then maybe some specific examples. Yeah, and how we like to say it is we don't only like working with challenger brands but we also like to challenge the brands we work with and for us the challenger brand is really the one that recently went through a transition maybe it's an insurance company that used to be very agent driven and is now becoming much more digital focused or it's a nonprofit that is growing their online fundraising function and they used to be a number two or a number four in the category but they got the aspiration to get that number one and we come to them and we help them by also challenging them every now and then because usually the ways of working that they used to follow are not enough for them to move to that first spot. Yeah, so, you know, as I dug into your website, your comments, Anton, sort of get me there. Um, I dug to your website. There are lots of acronyms used. I mean, there are 27 technical partners, tools in eight categories that include analytics and digital visualization. It strikes me that you're geared for potentially really experienced and technically proficient clients, or at least clients with like big marketing budgets. Is that right? Am I missing something? I guess it all depends on what we define as the big budget. Now, okay, seven figures. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so I mean, y- y- the kinds of of science, essentially data science that you're applying for these customers. I mean, that's pretty heady stuff, and you need a decent, you need a seven-figure budget to make, make the needle move on that kind of thing, right? You do, but I think that, I, I think of it a little differently. I think this is more about the mindset of the brand that we're working with. So clearly, this is a brand that is, as well, we define mid-market, and mid-market really means different things to different people, depending on the industry that you're in. But you probably have a, a media budget that is several million dollars. You probably have hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can spend on analytics. Like there is a point of entry that Mm -hmm. you need to be willing to meet in order to get a little bit more sophisticated, but it doesn't mean that you have to be overthinking it or be very complex. What I'm trying to zoom in on is that I think some brands start with doing a number of disconnected activities between technology, data, and media. And there comes a point where you need to connect data, media, and technology. And that simply reflects the maturity of your business. Mm -hmm. You get to a certain size. Yeah. So it's both about us being able to help you and you being at a point where you can be helped when we bring (laughs) those three capabilities together. You know, you said that beautifully. And and I I was sort of, although I didn't anticipate how you would say it, the, the theme of what you just conveyed is what I was expecting, and that's that was the hardest question I've had to form, which is my next one, which makes me sound like a child. And I'm still going to ask it because what is different between what you do for your clients and what we read about all the time online and through social media, the guerrilla-style marketing, these social mm. media hacks for small business. You read about them all the time and they say, this is how to drive traffic. This is how to, you know, and these are all inexpensive, grunt force, hard, tactical things. And that's way different, right? 
And I'll take the first crack on that. But <laughs> I guess, Dave, you kind of put the answer in the question when you said how to drive traffic, right? And when you're a small business, that's exactly what you're thinking about. You're thinking about how to drive traffic. You're thinking about how to drive more visits to the website. Maybe you're thinking about some another small dimension. Now, what differs with our clients and how we work with them is it's not about driving traffic or about increasing conversions or about any of those elements of the funnel. It's really about driving profit. It's about driving, if I'm a public company, the stock price. If I'm the private company, the total, uh, the total enterprise value. How those elements throughout the whole marketing funnel, how do they connect to that utmost value at the end? And how do I take those insights from my existing customers and really take them, like delve deeper and bring them to the surface to target the new customers that drive the needle for my business? So what's an example, I'm putting you on the spot right here, both of you, but what's an example of, let's say you want to maximize your the value of the organization, the total value of the organization, public company or not, what's a story you could tell about, you know, that isn't about just driving traffic, but that's about driving value that justified a, whatever, five or $10 million, you know, investment? Uh, here's how I think about this. And this is a very simple question that is extremely deep. And there are multiple ways. It's almost a tricky question. Well, and that's why I classified it as childlike. Yes, <laughs> so. which, I, which I love because it's, it's a multi-layered question. Here's one way to answer that. Different organizations see value, value marketing differently. And the role of a chief marketing officer differs depending on each organization. So for example, a, a common complaint and just a, a reality that a marketer faces. And it's a, I think it's a very challenging, but also very exciting role that one has in an organization. I like to call it terrifying. It's terrifying and exciting at the same time. <laughs> and I think it's more terrifying when that marketer isn't given a budget, isn't given a team, isn't given control over certain aspects of the organization that do translate into generating, like Anton said, enterprise value or total revenue. I do think that perceiving the role of a marketer as someone who can drive a stock price or total revenue enables that person to accomplish more. Hmm. There are some organizations where it's all about media management, just yeah. return on advertising spend. Yeah. And that, that's not wrong. It's just that that definition of value and the impact that a marketer has drives different perception of that role. Mm. Do, do I have a seat at the table or not? Uh, how much budget am I given to, for example, change the website or change the conversion funnel? So this, yeah. this is where it gets really complicated. I, I can see that. So I'm going to ask either one of you to simplify it with an example. A client, whether you can name or not, but where data used the way you deliver it and the way you provide value around the data really change that kind of total value that that and beyond maybe beyond ways they even thought absolutely and the first example that comes to mind is one of the financial services companies that we've been working with for a long time where it all started as a small engagement that turned into essentially a whole like a holistic marketing program including the data and technology workflows and if I look six, seven years back when we started, they were at a very different point, but they were acquired throughout the part of our work and what we've contributed to that value during the acquisition is 
if I break that business, like in insurance, you have, it's very easy for me to say who is a good customer of mine versus maybe who is not that good when I already have them. For some of them, mm -hmm. they got with one product, but they upgraded from life insurance to four more products and they stayed my customer for five years. For another one, maybe their credit card got declined and they never updated it. Or maybe they swifted away when the new customer deal ended three months into the progress. It's easy for me to say when they are already my customers. It's much harder for me to say, well, how do those aspects, how do I bring them to the beginning, to the, my prospect into acquiring those new users that you're talking about? And how do I exclude from my targeting those who do not have a chance to be those best customers? Mm -hmm. And how do I obsess, how do I spend more, and how do I find more of those who can? And if I break it into the whole funnel, it not only increases my revenue, but A, it gives me fewer customers at comparable or even higher revenue, which allows, which grows my revenue per person, which grows my profit per customer. Mm -hmm. It grows my conversion rate. It grows my market share, ultimately within that target audience. And it directly applies and affects the total enterprise yeah. value. So the impression I'm getting, even though I, I can't see into the data models you're using, and if I could, I wouldn't understand them. The impression, though, is that you've got your arms around around perfected ways to take the data, deliver it to your customers, and then make really smart decisions around it in a way that a little company, you know, just can't do. Yes, and, and I think that the moment we start to get into the details, like it gets very complicated. Yeah, it's yeah. very easy to lose the plot. I, I Here's how I think about this. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, media is becoming increasingly complex. So click on an ad on google.com, an impression that served on Wall Street Journal, on New York Times, an ad on YouTube. Those assets, those spots are becoming only more complex. And, and it is our philosophy that one has to create an unfair advantage for themselves in order to beat the market. It's no different than wanting to beat the stock market and invest in value stocks, for example, yeah, which yeah. was an old Peter Lynch fidelity sure. sort of philosophy of investing. I think when someone is a marketer at its most basic, when you look at that budget that I have as an investment, do I believe that I can beat the market by playing against everyone using the rules that they're using to play the market? Or can I deploy data and technology and find pockets of opportunity? We call that super fans, which is basically customer who are yeah. most obsessed about you and that's that's really what this is about. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. that simple. Do I believe that yeah. I can use the rules that everyone else is following to accomplish above average results, like growth in enterprise value yeah. or return on investment, whatever you care about? Mm -hmm. Or do I need to play by my own rules and build an unfair advantage for myself? And we just strongly believe that using data and technology and employing that against an advertising budget today is the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes it makes sense. And in, in and I'm going to sh switch gears, but I, I guess my concluding thought is that you know that's a different game than the little scrappy companies can play, and and that's just that's just the world. But you know, I actually disagree. Do you? Yeah, I do. I think I think that every company, at the end of the day, every CEO, every marketing leader, every CFO, is responsible for understanding 
who they are and who they are not and who their customer is and who their customer is not. I don't care if you have a company that, you know, mows loans or someone who delivers uh, maybe uh, a healthcare services to an elderly pers person or you mm -hmm. are a billion dollar insurance company or you are someone like Nike, right? Yeah. All these brands. Sure, but, but you know, Greg, that, you know, that's sort of a fundamental piece of any business, understanding your customer, but the ability to do what you do, that's expensive. And, you know, small companies just can't do it. But to your point, small companies need to start by truly understanding who their best customers are. And whether they have all your analytics or not, they can get a lot closer than most probably do. And I'm going to pause there to thank listeners and remind them this is Proco 360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast of the last three years. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the podcast for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses. Thanks to our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. Kinsley Meetings is Proco 360's longest running sponsor. The business is growing based on a great reputation for planning and conducting meetings locally and all over the world with lots of moving parts. Also via technology, thanks for hosting Proco 360 and all the great help your team gives me around managing the website. Finally, Colorado Biz Magazine. Our partnership is one of building our audiences together. Go to Proco360.com and check out these sponsors. All right, I want to shift gears entirely because um, I, I think I'm getting a handle for what you're doing. I really want to talk about sort of what was near and dear to my heart as we even started this conversation. That is this notion of having an international team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talk about how you set Delve up that way, why you set Delve up that way. Yeah, so I can start to so Delph started um, about 12 years ago. And for the first several years, as we were figuring out who we want to be when we grow up, because we started as a web analytics agency that got deeper into data science and data engineering, and then added media services and technology services on top of data services. And because we needed time to figure out who we want to be when we grow up, it was simply more economically feasible to have a team to start with in Belarus and also partially in Poland. And that just gave us a longer runway. You know, we could, we could sort of zigzag and, and uh, define who we really want to be by having more cash from projects yeah. with yeah. a lower cost base. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the difference in cost is what, half, half again as much if you come to the U.S. versus Belarus? Half or even less. Yeah. Yeah. So, Greg, you've got a beautiful office space in Boulder. And in a recent post, you talk about how you like to be in the office, how, you know, how it makes you feel as though you're part of the work and so forth. But then you've also got another workforce halfway across the world. So how do you how do you drive those two things? Sure. I mean, for context, we have offices in Warsaw and in Minsk right now. And we have a bunch of people who work for us in Argentina, Pakistan, or, and India and other places in the world. But in those places where we have enough of con concentration, there are physical spaces that either we own or we are releasing that uh, the team comes into. And, and we do think that this fosters lots of collaboration. We are strangely set up as a performance agency because we have these three businesses within the big Delve business. We are a team of, of media buyers, mm -hmm. a team of data specialists, and a team of ad tech, martech, uh, integration specialists. And in a traditional, in a, if you look at a traditional brand or traditional agency, 
those may be actually different departments that even are in different buildings. They're separated by silos. We think that we need to bring all of these functions together to deliver the kind of vision that I spoke about earlier, yeah, yeah. which is enabling media buying through the power of data and technology. And are all of those different team members sprinkled evenly throughout your teams around the world, or do you, you cluster them in some ways, Boulder, Warsaw, or? So we've been looking at that data, and surprisingly hmm. enough, it's pretty even. It was part intentional, part lucky to a degree. Like Belarus and Poland are, especially over the last five, seven, ten years, they're the great technological hubs. Like Google brought their data centers to Poland as mm. a hub for the entire Europe. Belarus used to have what used to be called the high-tech park, which was honestly pretty innovative within the whole European legislation, where they were bringing down the taxes and really encouraging international mm -hmm. businesses to bring in the technology talent and technology capital into the country. And what we are finding is across all of those areas where we are working, we can find top level talent equally mm -hmm. across any of our locations. Yeah. I, I've outsourced projects in my past career. I outsourced a, uh, an app development to India and I've outsourced, I still outsource to Portugal, to Ukraine, uh, other places. And I found in particular with, with India in particular, I, you know, I just found that culturally it was hard to, to sort of, equalize and i'm wondering what you're finding you know even as as sort of westernized some of the places in eastern europe have become in tech but still what are you finding i think this starts with philosophy and our philosophy is that regardless of where someone sits they have lots of potential that we can unlock when they work with us on different projects so we don't often you will hear phrases like back office right when you think about a team in india or, or eastern europe that is not our philosophy. These are our team members who we, we value highly. And often they will actually lead projects in the US with some team members in the US in a way reporting to someone, for example, in Warsaw or in Minsk. So it's, it's, it's really all about who is the best person to allocate to solve a different client problem. Yeah, but things like cultural, when I'm thinking about culturally, I'm thinking about the ways people interact, the way, to what extent people can be candid to one another, to what, what their work hours look like, you know, what their, to what extent they bring their family lives to work with them. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it's absolutely a challenge. I mean, again, I don't want to downplay it and it does take a lot of effort to your point. The labor laws are different, significantly different between the U S versus Poland versus Belarus. The cultural differences are existent when people are coming to us from different environments. I remember in particular this example when one of our US-based employees came to my office essentially complaining to me about the members of the Belarus team being mean to them and being passive-aggressive whenever they communicate. Now, the difference is, in that culture, for example, being direct is not considered being passive-aggressive. They were just asking fair questions without prefacing them. They were behaving differently with no bad intentions. And that's where that cultural element, that philosophical element that Greg is talking about, where we believe that all of our employees come to, uh, come to the workplace with fire in their belly, looking to find their growth zone and ultimately focusing on what drives the most impact, and focusing on those intentions, we can work through those cultural differences. But so, I mean, I'm an immigrant myself. I remember buying 
a bunch of school books starting from the fifth grade whenever I moved. So what? how do you handle scenarios like that when, you know, this is how we're all raised. If I feel somebody's being direct and using your example, and what did you tell them? Just don't sweat it? I mean, it has to be more than that, right, to, to bridge those gaps, doesn't it? It has to be, and my approach was always to bring them into the same room and ultimately dig deep into, well, where are you coming from? We can overcome how we communicate as long as we can get to the essence of where are we coming from, what is our intention, what is the outcome that we're focused on. I believe people can go great ways to work with one another as long as those philosophical elements are in alignment. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I mean, look, that's one of the reasons why Greg and I are pushing the in-office collaboration and return to hybrid work so hard because we have to communicate many times, multiple times, in order for people to really not only listen to us, but hear us, hear the essence of it. And it's just so much easier when we do that frequently and regularly. Yeah, yeah. Do you find, um, are you bringing together people from Eastern Europe and the U.S.? Do you have a meeting periodically where you let people connect, you know, well, obviously, there are limitations in terms of cost, right? So let's yeah. just be honest, flying out a whole team uh, from Eastern Europe to the States and vice versa, that's hard. Now, some of us do travel back and forth. We have team events, right? We have meetings. We have a monthly all-hands meeting. So there's there's lots of video communication and in person um, it, because we have to do it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. But going back to what Anton shared, I think that, like, if I think about DEI issues, right? Mm -hmm. any, any issues that we have right now in the States or polarization of politics, I do think that it all starts from this deep need to understand each other. And I know this sounds very cliche, but whether it's someone who is in India, Pakistan, or Argentina, or Poland, or Belarus, we're all people. We're all the same. We may have had different experiences. And something that we encourage at work a lot is we lose this framework called five dysfunctions of a team. It's a classic Patrick Lencioni. I think it's 40 years ago, right, when this was written. Mm -hmm. And it starts with, with trust, vulnerability, and the willingness to share my own experience, to be understood. And that's something that we really encourage internally because that leads to better alignment and better understanding. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Anton. Yeah, and the final point I'll make there is we are in marketing. And the value we bring to clients is about being able to market, quote-unquote, communicate their product to the wide variety of audiences. And us having this international presence, I've seen this on numerous occasions, gives us an advantage against companies that maybe do not have that breakdown. Yeah, that makes sense. So what do your clients tell you? Are they saying... like? You know, when you've got clients all over the world, and I'm sure many of them are in the U.S., are they, do they, what's their sense of, of comfort, eagerness around having an international uh, workforce that they're partnering with through Delve? Through my seven and a half years, I think, with Delve, I have never heard a single client to be concerned about that. I mean, of course, there are operational concerns about time zones. Sure. About... Sometimes language and accents are hard to understand. I faced that myself for a while. But our clients, and that's what I deeply appreciate about them, our clients are truly our partners. I mean, before we switched our domain to Delve Deeper, our domain was Delve Partners. Mm. And the reason for that was that we partnered with our clients 
and we're solving the common challenge. We're not a vendor. Yeah. So the clients we used to work with, the clients we work with today, they do not have concerns about that. Cool. Uh, listeners, I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is Proco 360 for people who love Colorado and the stories of Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs. This episode features Delve, and the website is delvedeeper.com. Go to proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. Winding down, I've got a few more questions. One specifically around tech. What are you seeing for tech trends that, you know, someone like me, could understand and appreciate is coming in the world in which you live? That's a hard one and an easy one at the same time. And we all talk about AI, right? And that's that's something that overtakes our minds. Uh, I'm a big believer that any of the technology revolutions, and we've seen a number of them when it comes to digital marketing, is ultimately what makes our life easier at the end. And... I have a little bit of background in computer science. That was many years ago, and I'm not, nowhere near to be mm. proficient in it. But even seeing how technology is exp- like is exploding right now, the LLMs bringing some of this creativity into our daily lives, I am pretty excited for, Dave, to your point at the beginning of this podcast, what small brands can do mm. that was not open to them a couple of years ago that only enterprise had access to. And access to some of this automation, access to some of this technology Mm. is what opens the door for those smaller brands to process amounts of data that historically was only open to enterprises, Mm. which in my mind is the focus for, like, is the catalyst to a degree for progress amongst the entire economy. Yeah. And I want to provide a different perspective to what Anton shared. Anton is absolutely correct. But there is also the reality of us being in professional services, right? We are of service hmm. to the marketing leader that we work with at a mid-market brand. And whether I am in, in our industry or I, I am an accountant, I'm a lawyer, whatever it is that I do as a professional, there is something also about process. And there is also something about being very clear about what we said earlier. I know you said, Dave, that... You know, everybody, every brand knows who they are and every brand knows who they're servicing. What we find is that technology is a mean to making that more nuanced, hmm. that you may be serving variety of different audiences, that how you need to present yourself online needs to be slightly adjusted to match the needs of that audience. That's where techn- technology mm-hmm. comes in. Yeah. But you can't outsource the deep understanding of who I am as a brand and who my customer is to an algorithm. I think mm. that's the good news. I also think that just the very fundamentals of structuring data, managing media, these tools are still very much hands-on. And as automated as they're becoming, you need someone who's thinking strategically and creatively. And what I do see sometimes is, is some team members that even we have wanting to outsource the thinking to the algorithm. And the reality is Mm. that you can't do that. And this is where we deliver so much value because we have these processes that truly enable us to squeeze value out of data and technology and media. And I think combining kind of the human intelligence, right, with artificial intelligence, that's the winning thing. But let's be honest, we all want to make it easy. And it's easier to outsource it to an algorithm. Back to my earlier point, Everybody has access to the same exact algorithms in these tools. If we were to do that, 
I don't think that we could squeeze the value for our clients hmm. that we're squeezing now where we deliver above average returns on the media in terms of stock price growth, enterprise growth, because we have the team and technology. And it's Delve, it's someone else. I think that's the way the game is played. Yeah, I guess to summarize, Greg spoke a lot about the unfair quote-unquote advantage. And technology is not where you're gaining the unfair advantage. How you use it is yeah, that advantage. Yeah, yeah. All right, last, last question for you guys. You know, when you think about what you're most excited about in your business going forward, what's that look like? That's a really tough question. So many things, so many things. I think that if I take a step back, we're at a point where we're growing very quickly. We are experiencing many growing pains. I think that there's a reason why growth happens. You know, we're very diligent. We're very focused on helping our clients win, enabling them to succeed. There's lots of, again, data, technology, and, and media management just skills that are baked into that winning equation. And the thing that I am most excited about next year is really enabling our team to unpack their possibilities because it is ultimately a people business. Like we are a team of people and we're dealing with people on the other side. And I want my customer to unpack her possibilities. I want her to be the best marketer that she can be so that she can move up in her organization. Mm -hmm. And if she needs to move somewhere else where she'll be recognized. And what I want for my customer is exactly what I want for my team members. I want them to unpack their possibilities. But you have to have a system, right? You have to tell someone, here's where you're at. Here's what you need to work on. Here's what you're great at. Here's what you need to do next. And, and as simple as that sounds, across a team of 150 that's growing very quickly, how do you scale that? Yeah, It's actually hard. It's simple and hard. So to me, that's the most yeah. exciting part for next, for next year. Do you help your customers in that way? I mean, do you have conversations with them about where they want to go and what they'd like to be able to demonstrate from their careers and that sort of thing? 100%. Really? That's one of the very first conversations we're having with our clients, usually before the contract is even on the table. Not about the, the value they want to create in their company, but about their personal goals, their personal trajectory. Absolutely. And those two frequently, for me, they're indistinguishable. And if we can help our customer, the person in the organization, achieve her goals and the goals of the organization, that's that utmost partnership we can create as a service partner being outside. Yeah. And that goes back to just recognizing that we are here to deliver value, right? We're here to deliver value for that customer, for their team, for the brand they work with, to enable them to, to know who their super fans are out in the market, their best customers are, that they should be obsessed in the market. This is no different from how I think about our business. We are here to enable our team to succeed so they benefit themselves, the team they work with, the firm, Delph, and the customers we work with. It's exactly the same thing, the same philosophy. So back to, I think, what Anton, you were saying is, we want to unpack the possibilities in our clients, help them move up faster, help them win in their role. Then their brand wins, people around them win, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing internally. So it's, it, it's sort of, it's the same, two sides of the same coin. Hmm. I think that's a good note to end on. Let's wrap up. Unless Anton, did you have something else you wanted to toss out there? 
No, I mean, again, the best calls I'm having with our clients is when they call me and say, hey, I got the award I was looking for. <laughs> or yeah. I achieved the goal that I didn't think I even could achieve, that you inspired me to achieve. Or even sometimes when they move on from the organization when we started working with them and we stay in touch for years thereafter, I love that. Oh, I know yeah. we helped not only the company, but the individual. Cool. Hey, I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on ProCo 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Greg Sobiech and Anton Ripkano of Dell. Listeners, glad you're here on ProCo 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the ProCo 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kinsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. 